0: The concept of two becoming one originates from Genesis 2.24 in the Bible, where it says, For this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and they two shall become one. Our conversation today is quite the opposite. We are going to talk about one couple becoming two singles because of being unequally yoked, as it is often referred in Christian communities. Our Christian listeners are going to be blessed today, but if you are not of the Christian faith, please don't think you will get nothing of value here today. We are going to hear another survivor's own story from a woman I know you can relate to no matter where you are in matters of faith and spirituality. Hers is a raw and personal story of a real woman just like you who found herself realizing that she was not well matched with her spouse and what that realization led to in her life. I will let her tell you that story in just a few moments.
1: to the starting over stronger show where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery divorce well live well
0: Welcome back to the starting over stronger divorce survival and recovery show as you heard in the intro today you're going to be hearing another inspiring and thoughtful story of divorce survival and recovery The goal? is for you to know that there are many women in this world who can relate to what you are going through on many levels. And these women you hear on the show have the hindsight and recovery behind them. So they're ready and able to share with you the gifts that divorce has given them. So today, uh, Tawana Clark Shepherd is joining us and she is a licensed mental health professional. And I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself, just some basics first, and then we'll get into her story. In a little bit,
1: yeah, so I am so privileged to be here um, sharing with you and your listening audience. Um, It is such a gift um, that I don't count small. I always like to start out by saying that because, you know, before I go into giving what sounds like my, my resume, with all the speaking that I've done over the past probably 15, 20 years. Different things become more important to me at different times. And so let's see about me. I am the mother of three adult children, mm-hmm. um, and who I mostly raised by myself, and the wife now of a wonderful man who I actually knew for about between seven to 10 years prior. We knew each other through a community and spoken word um, ministry we were both a part of. I am also a licensed clinical social worker. Social worker has been my background for oh, about 27 years. And I have been in the counseling for about 15 years. I am currently in private practice and I have been for about seven years, licensed in both Kansas and Missouri. I am a uh, licensed ordained minister. I've been in ministry for probably a little over a decade. Those are the things that are the technicals, but my passion really is to just help people be transformed in their mind and in their emotions to experience healing Mm -hmm. through the Through a counseling touch, through a coaching touch. I'm also a um, certified coach. And also through the word of God. While I do see clients who are not Christians and I respect where they're, you know, where they come from, what their background and preference is, a hefty amount more and more of my client load now, people who intentionally seek me out for um, just connecting to healing through. Um, having biblical principles applied to a cognitive behavioral theoretical perspective,
0: well, I mentioned in the introduction to the listeners that you are coming from a Christian background and very much rooted in a Christian culture, and yet at the same time, I don't want any listeners who aren't Christians to feel like they won't get something of value here today and I like to have you start by just sharing that personal side of yourself, but you know, I think it's also important for the listeners to know that you, even though you're going to be sharing your own personal story, you also have that professional background as a licensed mental health professional so that they, you know, can hear your heart, but also hear the wisdom of, you know, the strong mind that life's lessons have given you. So thank you very much for sharing that. And I guess now let's just get right to it. Tawana, tell us your story of divorce.
1: Yeah. So. I actually am a two-time divorcee, so <laughs> I have more experience than I would like to have had, if you will, yet the, 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 the one that I would focus more on that is kind of relevant for, for what we're highlighting here, because the first marriage I was young, I just kind of was trying to escape a lot of things. A lot of childhood trauma. And I, at the time, actually wasn't a practicing Christian, but I had been raised in the church different than having a personal relationship with Christ. I'll just pinpoint that's important for me to highlight for people. But I did have this sense of I never really was able to just kind of be in a dating situation. It was never comfortable for me. And so I was always kind of a one guy gal, if you know what I mean. Um, That was my preference anyway. And so I was doing a lot of escapism with that first marriage. And like I said, we were both young, you know, didn't put a lot of thought into it. That marriage ended up being pretty abusive and, and toxic in that sense. And I ended up basically escaping that marriage. So um, I'm thinking that, you know, I'm making a fully informed decision. Um, At this point, I had been following Christ for a number of years personally, you know, my own personal relationship and walk with Christ. I had actually even felt the call to ministry prior to meeting this person. But I wasn't quite mature enough to really use discernment and wisdom, you know, also known as just doing my time to do my due diligence to really see if this person was capable of being, first of all, by that time I had all three of my children. And so I made a lot of assumptions because this person had children as well and seemed to be just, you know, in this adoration relationship with his children. And so I, you know, I just kind of thought, well, you know, if if he has, he adores his kids. And so, you know, he has the heart of a father. Part of my childhood trauma was pretty intense fatherlessness. My father was an alcoholic who was more absent than he was ever present, both physically and of course, emotionally, spiritually, all those things. So I just, I didn't have a father in that sense. And so again, there's some parallels as always with people who are married, you know, multiple times when it's, you know, toxic. So still some escapism, but had done some work therapeutically and, and you know, spiritually and thought, you know, I kind of had this thing in the bag. And so even even still, though, during the courtship phase, if you will, during the dating phase, there were all kinds of red flags. I mean, y'all, let me tell you there there always is and and there was okay um i what were a couple of them the big ones maybe? well so let's see
0: <laughs> where, 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 do where, where do i see? start where do i
1: start <laughs> so um one of the things from my lack of healing that popped up during our dating life that was connected to him, but it was still really mostly about my lack of healing, right? So being a single mom of three kids, I put myself through school. At this point, I had all of my degrees. I had three degrees at this point, right? But I, um, because I had escaped the first marriage, now I live in Kansas City. I'm not from Kansas City. I'm originally from Iowa and finished growing up in Minnesota. That's So that there's a connection there. So the escape thing happened right after me and my first husband moved here to Kansas City together. Um, a lot of his thing was isolation. I have a lot of siblings. I'm the youngest of 14. And so um, he, my first husband kind of wanted to get me away from my family, that we were making this fresh start. Um, he was from the East Coast. My mother at the time respectfully begged me not to go all the way to the East Coast. Kansas City was the compromise. I had one sister here at the time. So here in Kansas City, had had escaped from um, the first husband right around the time um, I gave my life to the Lord. And so I had, like I said, done some healing work, but still wasn't nearly where I needed to be. And so in this second situation, still some escapism. I, though, because of the first marriage and the toxicity of how I got out of it, I ended up living in low-income housing. And I, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but now we're into the second dating situation with my second husband. And he came from a background where they were kind of middle-class family with an upper-class mindset. (laughs) Makes any sense. Okay. So very judgy, you know, he had two children. I had one child more than him, y'all. Yet, according to his mother and his family, without saying it, there was this thing of, you know, like, oh, she's not good enough, you know. I had two more degrees than he did. And yet I was, you know, I was just not good enough. What I didn't realize was that I was hooking myself up to someone who was what we call a mama's boy. So there was just a lot of enmeshment. That's a more clinical term, right? We'll use enmeshment. Um, And so I you know I thought okay all the stereotypes he was he seemed to be in love with his kids and they spent all this time at his mother's house during his visitation now mind you he also had a previous wife that was one red flag he was had had come out of a a marriage and and she hated him mm. that was a red flag it isn't always right in my case it was And if anything, you should do diligence to find out as much as you can the why. Why Mm -hmm. does the X have this vitriol Mm -hmm. (laughs) reaction, right? but I didn't. So the one red flag was all the time spent at the moms, Um, you know, on his, on his weekends, I'm looking at it like, oh, this guy is a great parent, not realizing that, oh, there's something wrong with the fact though, that he doesn't seem to be able to be in, 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 um, you know, having quality time with his children without his mother being involved. Of course, I bought the story that because the ex-wife was so bitter and so da 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 negative things, you know, that that was the only time that his mom got to see them, like as if there was this long period of time where she hadn't gotten to see them because of the you know negative mm-hmm. way their marriage ended, which turned out not to be the case at all. There had never been a, a gap in time that his mom had seen his kids, but that's I bought the story. That was another red flag. And so um, then in the midst of all the judginess, uh, paired up with my lack of healing. So please get that. Mm Y'all get that. So my lack of healing said that because I lived in low income housing, I had just freshly, now I had gotten all my degrees, but mind you, I had just freshly gotten all of them. So Mm -hmm all the things that you do to to save money to land the the job you know where you can start digging yourself out of a situation like that and get into you know regular housing i i, I hadn't even allowed myself time to do that okay but what i had done was i had started i'd like convinced myself that i needed to you know have this better standard of living i needed to and i needed to do it immediately now that was the tape that was playing. Okay. Because I'm now in this relationship and, and then no, mind you. Okay. Again, he wasn't living better. He did, you know, he lived in an apartment um, that while it wasn't low income, it it wasn't in this great neighborhood. It was, it actually was a, an apartment complex that was a co-op and, um, where so your your rent was pretty much the same as like low income housing rent if that makes sense to some listeners they'll get that all these things all my brokenness all of my lack of healing played a huge i was just completely clouded over but because i wanted to belong i had daddy issues that were not yet resolved I started, you know, making all these drastic decisions, sweeping decisions. One of them was that I needed to move out of where I was right away. And so moving out of where I was right away put me and my kids in a, a, a really not so good situation with this landlord. Mm-hmm. That resolved into us being temporarily somewhat homeless. Now, it was kind of by choice, but it was a bad situation, okay? It was a very unsafe situation that we were living in. Big, big, big red flag was that he did live in an apartment, but his apartment was, um, he had extra bedrooms, right? Right. So, and his children um, were only at his house every other weekend. It wasn't even during the week, just every other weekend, because he was still fighting for more time. And so um, the biggest red flag was that there was this just sense of like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just can't help you guys. Now, mind you, it wasn't like we were inserting ourselves in his apartment. It was more like. He was the main one, you know, pointing out all these red flags and all these problems with where I lived and and really, really um, hyping up my anxiety about the unsafety of the situation. He had already started like hinting around, you know, kind of more like the, you know, Cinderella version of talking about marriage, you know, kind of thing. So we had already had like these conversations where we saw the relationship going, you know, um, and, and, and then all this stuff happened with, you know, my housing. And he was kind of like, well, you know, you guys can come stay here, you know, but kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we, we came and we stayed at his place. Um, however, the moment that we started staying there, I started seeing this really very anxious, nitpicky
0: side to him. Today's episode is sponsored by Kitrera Law, helping people when bad things happen. Kansas City divorce attorney Nick Cutrera has been offering strong yet compassionate legal representation for almost two decades, voted best of the bar seven times, and the coveted super lawyer three years running. He's earned these honors as an effective litigator who works hard to avoid litigation where fair settlements are possible. Every case is different. Couture Law successfully tries or settles cases where both parents gain substantial meaningful contact with children or which a parent's visitation is restricted based on the best interests of the kids. Also, increasing or decreasing child support based on present financial circumstances. Each case is litigated according to its own merit. The choice of an attorney is a personal decision that should not be made based on advertising alone. As always, Starting Over Stronger Coaching recommends interviewing a few attorneys before making your selection. If you are in the Kansas City area, I highly recommend making Nick Cotrera one of those calls. Call Cotrera Law at 816-525-5226 or visit com. That's C-U-T-R-E-R-A-L-A-W.com. Please tell them you heard about them on Starting Over Stronger. Now back to the show.
1: Back to the daddy issues. One of my father's issues, his personality traits, was that he was what I call a fusser. So he would, you know, fuss, fuss, fuss about the littlest of things, but it was like loud fussing. Okay. Okay. That's the best way to describe it because it wasn't quite like going crazy, but it definitely was not kind or compassionate. And so it was this loud fussing and it was, you know, you moved my, you know, my artifact off the table, you know, kind of thing. Because, you know, if you don't fix it, you'll pick it. That was a big red flag. So it's so much of a red flag that I hurried up to another friend found another landlord that didn't take you through a whole lot of screening because mind you at that point, I didn't have the best rating credit wise and all that stuff. Cause I'm still recovering. I'm moving faster than I'm even thinking and, and subconsciously not realizing I'm being led by the, getting the approval right of this guy, which also meant the ultimate approval of his family, namely his mother. Now all this is are tapes that are playing in the background. And yet he's the he's completely ill-equipped to support any of this, right? And so tangibly support any of this, emotionally support any of this, and so um, I found another landlord that didn't require a lot. Found us a place. We hurried up and we moved out of his place. The place that we moved into. Wasn't it, it wasn't really, you know, horrible or anything, but it was completely out of the school district that my children were in. Now, mind you, one thing that I pretty much was always able to maintain was that my kids did not hardly ever go to public school. I, you know, hustled to get private school scholarships. They went to, at the time, very um, high-ranked charter schools. And so it was important that we were in a certain neighborhood for their schools. So I moved into this house that was in the suburbs. All of us had to drive into the city to go to school, to go to work. I couldn't really afford to furnish the house, but the neighborhood was better. I was sleeping on an air mattress. My kids had beds. <laughs> But the neighborhood was better. I moved all the way out yeah. here. At this point, I had a moment where I could actually breathe in air, and I started um, really consulting my spiritual mentors and all that stuff. And I, I for a, for a moment, I broke off the relationship with him. I moved out to this other neighborhood and was was trying to focus on letting the Lord speak to my, like, how did I get here? This is very painful, you know? And I started really letting God speak to my heart. Well, then he comes in with all of the, literally the fairy tale, you know, I'm lost without you. Oh my gosh. You know, somebody wants me. Oh, he's, you know, he's really sad. And so I eventually caved. I entered back into the relationship, ended up marrying him. Let's just put it that way. So we, we ended up getting married. One of the things, though, that we did do, you know, me trying to have some control when we were literally uh, more officially in, engaged, you know, the understanding was that, OK, well, we are going to we have to get a house. Like, this is crazy, this instability. So, in the midst of, of course, him convincing me to resume the relationship, of course, he made all these, you know, um, huge sweeping promises. And one of them is that, you know, you're right. You, you know, you should never have to be, you know, in an unstable situation with your children. That's my job, la, la, la. And so, yes, we'll get a house. And so, we, we go through this kind of whirlwind engagement because even though the engagement wasn't super short, it was so packed with trying to find a house, right? And um, me, you know, um, finding... Oh, and in the midst of that, I, I found stable employment. Well, I got hooked up with a job um, as a school counselor through his sister, Right. So, because now at this point we're engaged. And so, so I got this, I got a stable job and, you know, so we're, we're on the track to the, I called it like the, the divorce recovery, middle-class dream. We spend the entire, you know, our entire engagement looking for a house. We settle on the house, we get the house so much so that our actual bachelor, bachelorette party happened at our new home. None of the other flags really could pop up because we were so busy and you if you know a woman no. so this would have been my <laughs> first real wedding y'all let me give you that that's important um because I also was kind of in this bubble of you know um, I wouldn't have noticed anything else anyway right because I was so focused on finally having the wedding of my dreams because the first time I got married it was at the courthouse. We're, you know, I'm planning the wedding. We're looking for a house, and everything's going to be roses and, and, and lilies and rainbows. And so um, we we have the, the the party. Now, y'all, here's another, though red flag, red flag number, you know, 2004. We decided to do a co ed bachelor, bachelorette thing. One, because at the time, he was also pretending to have this deep passion to dive into Christianity. And I was, a, I was a for real, you know, Christian. I was for real saved, you know, kind of thing. Not perfect, but I was very dedicated to the Lord at the time. You know, had just recently said yes to the call to ministry. And, you know, so I was really serious about my Jesus for sure. I did not think it was, you know, proper mm-hmm. for us to be doing like traditional bachelor, bachelorette stuff. And, you know, unbeknownst to me, if, because of financial reasons, he went along with them. But At the time, I thought he mm-hmm. was doing it because he was trying to share my values and grow in his own. So I thought, you know, the most appropriate thing was not, you know, you going out with your guy friends doing inappropriate things. I was very strong about like, um you going to a strip club is very disrespectful to me. Uh, You know, you got to figure that out, buddy. And so that was also, he felt like, you know, well, this was a way to um, have all his, you know, fraternity brothers and whoever else coming to town, but not feel like they just didn't have anything to do. Mm -hmm. He felt the need to host them. So we hosted this big shindig at our new house. The other red flag was that his sister-in-law, one of my close friends, caught my future sister-in-law and some other lady friends of theirs, his sister-in-law, in in my house talking trash about me. Yeah, so this happened the night before my wedding. Being honest and transparent, I dealt with that by having probably three too many glasses of wine. And uh, honestly, I was
0: hungover at my wedding. That's a big red flag. You've mentioned a lot of red flags. And what I'm wondering is, do you do you know they're red flags now? Were you sensing anything uncomfortable even way down below the surface at that point? Or were you okay with those things back then?
1: Yes. I I was definitely sensing them, which is why to me that the the excess drinking the night before, that was an indicator. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to numb that that abandoning at the altar impulse that I had. Mm, Okay. I knew all the other incidences that had occurred and they really weren't fixed. They were just fixed with an apology and distraction.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what else I knew? I was, (laughs) this is the biggest one. I was saving it because people are listening are going to go, what? (laughs) I was so aware subconsciously that I finagled to where I didn't have to put my name on the house we had.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, people on the outside would be like, that's not wise. That is not wise. You don't have any, you know, because now you all know, because we're on this this podcast that there was a divorce. But what the story, but how how that was wise, you'll find out in a second. But I did know to answer your question. I did know. I knew down to my core.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think that's good to acknowledge with people because I think there's such regret with the divorce, and especially when you get out of the fog and you you've got a little bit of distance from it, and you start seeing the red flags more clearly. Then there's just such you know sometimes shame and guilt for why did I. Do it anyway, you know. And I think it's important to note that, you know, we all went through that. There were things that we ignored because Mm -hmm. there were other things that we thought were going to make those other things okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I was also wondering how long you guys were married and you may be getting to this. Okay. So we were married
1: five years. It was five years that we were married. No, that's not right. Seven years. I don't know why I said five.
0: <laughs> well, like, I'm glad is. it's a distant memory. Well, <laughs> oh. oh, And it started out so rough. It makes me wonder if that whole five or seven years or whatever it was, um, was that uncomfortable or if you oh, got comfortable at some point no. for a while. Okay. No,
1: no, never.
0: Okay.
1: Nope. So I'll tell you. Ceremony was beautiful. If anyone's familiar with Kansas City, we have a, a we have Loose Park here. That was oh, also yeah. a, you know, like a, one of those bucket list things, if you will. Mm. And so I got my Loose Park wedding, but guess what? <laughs> I I am a, again, anyone who's listening, who is spirit led, you know, whatever your, your religion is, um, when you are spirit led, you see and understand Signs of of God speaking to you and everything. So my Rose mm-hmm. Park bucket list wedding, there were no flowers budded. Oh,
0: what, what time of year you? was it?
1: It was May. Oh wow, no was, flowers there would be by then. It was. It was. It, guess what? It was an exceptional, excessively hot. Mm -hmm. And something happened in nature where the flowers didn't bloom. So we had (laughs) the garden, but there were no flowers. Wow. That to me was a sign. Because up to the very moment that I said, I mean, because I had gotten an email and a phone call from them, you know, stating like, you know, just so you're aware we're having issues. This is the that, you know. So, I mean, yeah, I I could have said no. I could have said no the day of. I mean, you can always say no. And I mean that. Anyone listening? Say no. I don't care if it's the day of. I don't care how Hollywood makes, you know, the the leaving someone at the altar, this whole dramatic scene and all of this. And no, this is life. And for me, it was my life and five kids' lives that were traumatically impacted by this. And so, you know, we do the thing, we have the, it still was a beautiful ceremony, you know, and then we, we go on our honeymoon to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, get back from the honeymoon. And as soon as we get back, we get in the house, we had a, um, a set of French doors and one of the doors, the pane had gotten broken by like a ball or something. somehow in all of that, a little, the, one of the panes of the glass got broken. And he blew a gasket mm. as soon as we got back. And and that is indicative of like the whole rest of the time. Mm. It was a, a combination of, you know, me, me trying to, you know, be, um, you know, a godly wife and all the things that the Bible describes as that is trying to be, you know, respectful and and temperate and supportive and and at the same time I've got this pressure of having all these failed marriages just in my history of family. I'm carrying all of that. I am dealing with him having a complete lack of ability, less alone desire to actually parent my children. And it was clear. I mean, he had kind of just this very, those are your kids. You know, you guys do your thing over there. I'll do my thing over here with my kids. He was constantly fighting with his ex. She was disrespectful to me. His children were so confused that they were mainly his older child was very disrespectful because even in the midst of all of my struggles, I still had some very, my kids would say good, good intended for sure, Christian values about how I was raising my kids. I wanted things to be different. I did not want mm-hmm. my kids to grow up the exact way, a lot of the way that I grew up. And so we yeah. had some basic rules in our home about things you could watch. We just had a lot of values that, once we got together and married, he, you know, pretty much, you know, over time just was like, well, yeah, I know that I said, you know, I wanted to do the Christ thing, but you know, I'm just going to kind of do me, you know, because that's too hard.
0: So you had, uh, you had, when you look at all the problems in the relationship, you've got the obvious, just discord, disrespect between you two, you've got step Parenting issues, blended family issues. Yes. Sounds like some anger issues. Yes, um, obviously the spiritual issues. What would you say was rising to the surface as the biggest or hardest struggle, and how did you try to resolve that?
1: The biggest, hardest struggle was the difference in spiritual spirituality, different value system. Because here is the thing: yeah. when you are a spirit filled and spirit led individual, that that spirit that you are following conducts your everything. So my way of problem solving, my way of problem solving goes through the guise of, yeah, I don't like what you did. I don't like what you said, but I don't have the right to just react. I don't have that right and without dealing with the consequences of it from you know my heavenly father. Um, and those consequences spread out through, through a life. So yeah, I don't like what you did. But I have to first try to run that through the funnel of grace, you know, Mm -hmm. run that through the, you know, um, kind of treating you the way I would want you to treat me, not the way I feel like you should be treated. The way that you make decisions are geared through prayerful contemplation. And now while I wasn't great at that going into it, I became really focused in on it. Because for me, the more problems we had, the more I started turning to myself, realizing that all that I could control was myself. So how are me, Tawana, how am I contributing to these problems? That was what I pretty much was sticking to. And I'm still trying to then, you know, kind of get him to come into the realm of, you know, recognizing that that was the way we needed to solve problems because it was less painful, less hurtful. It's more loving. It's kind of like I was hoping that kind of like the love of Christ would draw him in to wanting to love me like Christ loves, like Christ wanted um, with compassion. Not pointing out my flaws, not pointing out my kids' flaws. That's not love. You know, even our church family elders, you know, step in and try to give us counsel. And what was rising to the top also was because of those differences, he was very critical of me, critical of my kids, more so of my kids. So he would basically target a lot of his disdain for this life that he had chosen towards my kids of my past with their father. And and I found out that he was constantly talking about me and my kids behind my back. He had this group of friends, one of which was a female, and our circles were Mm. kind of starting to interconnect. And so I'm finding out things that he could have only shared, right? about our, you know, our relationship, our household, but he put this nasty, dirty, if you will, muddy spin on it. Mm -hmm. And that that became his habit. It was like, he was kind of living a double life. It was like to everybody else, he was the victim Mm -hmm. of this marriage that he had chosen. He was, you know, (laughs) he was the victim of these kids, these, you know, horrifying kids that You know, then the other people that knew me and knew my kids were just like, what in the world, you know, is going on when people started finding out what he was kind of spreading? Because I was very involved in the community, I was very involved in my church, and I was very involved with children. And I was, you know, by God's grace, I was very well liked in my other life.
0: Right. You know, I want to point out a couple of things that you've mentioned that I think are very powerful. You Mm -hmm. talked about your lack of healing and your decision to focus on what you could do to help the things that were going on. And you also mentioned Mm -hmm. that what conversely you experienced him doing was contributing to the problems, blaming, uh, blame shifting and making himself out to be the victim in all of these things. And those two contrasting viewpoints, I guess, of the world is like critical, like cannot be understated that you, every single one of us listening and and talking here today has a choice every single day with every single thing we face to either look at our contribution and what we can do to change things, to be a part of the solution or be a victim and complain and gripe and point out where others are falling short. And that decision that you make, which whichever way you go with that will determine the course of your life. Period.
1: Absolutely. And that's so true. Oh, I cannot. That is so good. So because a lot of this um you know it res- it kind of dissolved into we did not share the same values we both were not believing trusting and serving the same God um therefore my way of solving, um solving again was, I honestly would say more light on the side of humility, even though I screwed up constantly. Mm -hmm. I did get to a point where I became very frightened and angry and that scary side finally reared up in just like a mama bear fashion. But by then, so much of the damage had already been done. I felt trapped even in, you know, just socioeconomically, I felt trapped, you know, all those things. However, it still does affect the decision, right? That decision in particular still does affect everything and conducts everything. Because even though in the end, what ended up finally allowing me to be liberated from the relationship with God's blessing because that's the thing I also want to make sure I highlight is that, um, in, in my faith arena, yeah, there's very strong teaching against divorce. However, there is a strong teaching in the same book, the same manuscript, the Bible, where there are grounds for divorce. And, um, My ex met them a thousand times over. He did, on top of all that, end up becoming a serial cheater. My choice to still, though, at the end of the day, hold fast to my values as to how I conducted myself, being faithful. But at the the end of it, it was a, a faithfulness. I wasn't a victim any longer. It was, God, I'm going to trust you. Because now I have done everything that I believe you're asking me to do to um, uphold the tenets of this, you know, of this covenant and to be prayerful for my husband's heart and for his soul and for his mind. All of the things that I recognize are toxic about him that have contributed to his behavior, he had some deep trauma that. He had not even yet at the time of our marriage had not even told his own mother or happened to him had only told like two people besides me. So of course that was what was driving a huge majority of what his choices were. Nevertheless, it got to a point where it was like he had the ability to make the same choice that I made. And so what I really want people to understand is that um, right. my ability to rise after being just stumped down to the very bottom, to the nothing of nothing. You know, all of the fears that I had that drove me into that relationship, I still had to end up walking those out through faith and trust in who God made me to be in the end to pull my life back together. I still had to Trust God to walk out of poverty and a poverty mentality just because I could. I'm not going to say on my own because that would be a lie, but because I could, because I got healthy. I still had to, you know, uh, yeah. learn how to parent, you know, children as a single parent. Now, though, my children have been traumatized to the nth degree by this marriage. They had issues Mm -hmm. with trauma from lack of parenting from their biological fathers, but there's a difference between the absent trauma effect and the impact trauma effect. Again, there's a difference between the absent trauma effect, so you're traumatized by what you didn't get, and the impact trauma effect. They're both significant, but they're different in how they impact you. And so now my children, who prior to this, even though I struggled, mind you, my home life, because I was so determined to do things differently with my kids, even through dysfunctional marriage, home life was very structured and perhaps structured because it was a protection. So my children had, you know, bedtime, they had sports as a single parent. I was just very graced to have them in the top programs, top schools. So we had a very structured life. And because I was a single parent, our house was actually very peaceful for the most part prior to this marriage. Right. Because now, Mm -hmm. mind you, even my first marriage, I didn't really allow us to stay under the same roof for very long because I just wasn't going to have it. So, our home life, my kids went from this kind of very structured, cocooned kind of lifestyle that was you know, heavily woven into Christian principles. They were very involved at youth church, all those things in a healthy church. Um I'm just I feel like I need to say that. I was very involved, so it wasn't like I sent my kids to youth. I was there with them, and we had a healthy community prior to marriage, and it went from that to chaos. Mm -hmm. But the ability to rise up from that, Mm -hmm. and still to this day, try to help my children now, young adult and 30-year-old adult, my oldest is 30, recover from the trauma. That marriage, by far and large, more than anything, traumatized my children. So the ability, though, to be a stable healing vessel for my adult children and to help them after walking through, helping them to understand the importance of us all forgiving each other, them forgiving me, they they choose it or not choose it, but helping them. That's not something a lot of people feel like they can do, both be part of the cause and part of the solution, but you can't. And if you're a parent, you have to. Mm. Yeah. I had to show them what it's yeah. like to apologize. And if you have to mm-hmm. apologize over and over again mm-hmm. to your adult children, apologize to, you know, even the ex, or if you have to, you clean out the muck and the mire, clean it out. But you do that by first recognizing mm-hmm. that, okay, I have to go after my own personal healing like I do air and water. And I started doing that before. Yeah. The divorce. That's
0: good. Did that help with the divorce process having that kind of some of that anyway in the in the review? Absolutely because he continued to lie and manipulate. Mm-hmm. Um
1: my actually do a very similar okay, sweeping gesture of sorrow and, oh, yeah. and tear, <laughs> yeah. Tearfulness that he did to get me to come back into the relationship all them years before when God had given me my escape route the first time.
0: Yeah. But you were awake now, so it wasn't going to work gonna this wait. time. So.
1: Wasn't going to this time. So yeah, it's important that more than anything, you do two things. If I highlighted two things, it would be, do your work. Yeah. Do I was just going to say, I
0: think that can't be understated that, can't you know, sometimes people think, Oh, I'm just going to get divorced and then I'll deal with that. There's, no. there's a lot of value in doing everything you can on, you know, on mm-hmm. one side of the divorce. And then, yeah, there's still going to be work to do after, but yes. it's, it's both are important. <laughs> the thing is, if you don't heal,
1: You will take the same brokenness into the next relationship. Absolutely, you will. Here's the thing. A divorce that just needs to happen is already traumatizing in and of itself. So if you don't start the process as quickly as you can, Mm -hmm. as quickly as you become aware, you're going to leave with such a triple trauma. Yeah. If you would have just started the process you need that. And honestly, to be able to exit the marriage with some air, with some strength in your knees mm-hmm. to, be able to stand up, you need to be able to do that. But either way you you have to do it or else you'll you'll continue to transfer it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, I think you've mentioned it more than once. And I think, you know, a great place to, to wrap up your story is on the fact that our lack of healing is the issue. Yes. All the stuff that that toxic partner is doing is on them. That has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. What you you can do, what you can control, what is truly the issue is why you chose that person, why you continue to stay in a situation that you know is not good for you. And what you can do differently now that you see it for what it is. And some of that involves letting go of the shame and guilt of why you picked that person and kept staying in that situation. Because everyone that's ever come out of it deals with those things. Those are a reality in a toxic relationship. But the lack of healing in your personhood is the only thing you can control that's correct that's where all your power is that's right in focusing right there
1: that is absolutely where all your power lies and 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 whatever it is that you rely on for your strength the strength that you need when you run out of natural resources Mm -hmm. for me that is the power of christ the power of my faith um even in situations where you are, you know, in a marriage and I, I mean, yes, obviously people listening here are going to be listening as they're recovering, but I, even if someone's listening to this and they're in it still and they're questioning this, what I need to do is this where I don't need to be, right? But mm-hmm. I would say is another major indicator is if you all are using two different resources that like completely are polar opposites for how you problem solve and you can you can pretty well detect that if you just stop and ask yourself that question how does my spouse problem solve what do they turn to mm-hmm. if you are using two entirely different things or things that totally oppose one another then you're you're gonna be in big trouble.
0: That is an excellent point. I've you're never- gonna be in big trouble that way. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, we talked about this as we were prepping for this, just kind of the aspect of do we focus on being like the unequally yoked when when you say I do to two different things, you know, but ultimately it is problem solving because problems will come in a marriage. There are two different people (laughs) trying to come together as one. You Mm -hmm. will have problems. So that's so key. Do do you both have trauma? If you do, a lot of people do. I say, I think most people do. Mm -hmm. Um, Now we've redefined it more more accurately. What are your discussions about how you see it and how you plan to deal with it? Are you two actually looking too much to each other in the relationship to fix it? it? That can't happen. How do you problem solve? You can problem solve completely differently, and you're definitely going to end up not just in two different books, but in two different continents. But but ultimately, making a decision about how you want to position yourself in life, and whether or not you choose to have people around you who support a healthy version of yourself, and how you position yourself, is that person healthy? As you go forward, lastly, I'll say, this is the, where I, the, real, the real thing for me is, if you're in this situation, how do you advance forward? You advance forward by literally taking stock of everything that you can control. Because even in recognizing how traumatized my children were, they still, by that time, they were adults. So what can I control? I can only control the resources that I make available to them. I can only control me.
0: yeah,
1: You control me and what I reach for. And then by you walking through healthy healing, you will be infectious. You will. That's the one hope I'd like to leave. I'm, I love just leaving people with hope. Now we've dug up, dug up all the trauma and tragedy. You will. Your healing will be infectious. Mm-hmm. That is just that is man law that's biblical law law of attraction whatever you ascribe to you yeah. heal you and you will be infectious
0: that's right yeah Well, thank you again for sharing your story. Your vulnerability and transparency are a powerful reminder to all of those listening that we're not alone in the emotions that we feel and the struggles we have to bear. And, you know, we kind of talked about the theme for today being when one become two kind of a play on words to the Mm -hmm. biblical concept of two becoming one and, and whether someone's a Christian or not, whether their spouse or ex is a Christian or not. And, you know, honestly, even whether we're talking about being unevenly matched religiously or even maybe in a different way, intellectually, financially, politically or philosophically, yeah. there's yeah. a lesson here in irreconcilable differences. And I think, you know, rather than dig into that, I want to just talk about your takeaway. You know, you said you like ending with hope. That's always what I want to do. I want you to reflect back on everything that you've shared today and all the moving parts of your story what would you say is the best gift that your divorce and the experience that you went through to get there gave you?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So the best (laughs) gift that it brought was the thing that I had been needing to um, possess since I was a kid. And that was that I am not my Parents, I'm not my grandparents. I'm not my older siblings. I love them dearly. I love you all. If any of you ever listen, but I'm not them because most of them are way older than me, so they'll get the the insight. <laughs> um, literally, a couple of them are old enough to be my parents. So, um, but I'm not. I'm not them. They're not me. You know. But um, but whatever I am, that is a part of them. I get to choose what I want to take and what I want to discard. Okay. So I got a full, confident, firm grip around the power of choice. That's the gift that that marriage gave me finally. Yeah. that's good. Through all those things, the power of choice. Secondly, that choice did lead me to finally connecting to the healthy partnering world. Mm -hmm. healthy partnering in my life my current husband with all of his wonder and all of his challenges he's a healthy partner Mm -hmm. um and together we get to be motivation inspiration to other people especially people who knew me back when Mm Hmm. We, I'm, I'm told that oftentimes, you know, without even he's a very laid back, you know, person, but I'm told that often that because the people that do know me from back when and maybe know him, that we are an inspiration because they do know what I came from, you know. Yeah. Um, so those are the two gifts I would say in that gift, even though my children are adults. I don't know if this one's probably, to me, probably more personally, the biggest gift is that they get to finally see what healthy
0: manhood looks like. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a gift, too. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you again, Tawana, for being here and for sharing. I appreciate your time today. And listeners, I hope this has helped you. It is my pleasure to meet you here each week with a new survivor or professional to share their story or to explore those things that are important to you as you go through your divorce. And I'm humbled and hopeful that you are hearing exactly what you need as the show grows. And I'm getting great feedback from you. So please continue to share your topics of interest and any questions that you have as you're listening to the show. And also, would you please take the time now to follow Starting Over Stronger on Facebook and also SOS Divorce Coach Annie on Instagram and follow or subscribe on wherever you're listening right now and rate and review and share the show with anyone you know who is facing divorce. You can email me at Annie at StartingOverStronger.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to explore this topic more or to find out more about divorce coaching. Until we meet again, remember, you do not have to do divorce alone. There is help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.